And I want to share three principles uh, that I think we all need to keep at the forefront of our minds and our hearts as we spend time in prayer. And I know it sounds cliche. Uh, we would all say this as Christians, but the number one truth is it is God is in control. Uh, and, and it's easy to say that, right? It's easy to believe it on paper or say that to other people. It's harder to live that out, right? And our, in our day-to-day -day lives and also in our emotions as we see chaos around us. So I want to read some passages that just point our hearts towards that direction of God being in control. In John 19, verse 11, Jesus is before Pilate, and he answered and says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Psalm 22, verse 28, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Daniel 2, 21, it is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and, and knowledge to men of understanding. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Ephesians 1.21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And lastly, in Job chapter 12, uh, most likely you've not spent a whole lot of time in Job, but I came across this the other day and was greatly encouraged. In verse 23, he makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in darkness with no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. And most of these verses are in connection with government, in the world, but and that's I think for most of us what's at the forefront of our mind. But we know, of course, that God is in control of absolutely every aspect, He is sovereign over every aspect of our lives, uh, from government to family to you personally. Uh, Jesus Christ, as Colossians says, is sustaining your very breath, right? He's upholding you and uh, your lives, and a proper recognition of God's control and power enables you to focus on what is most important. Amen. Uh, when, when we are surrounded by chaos and struggles and questions, it is very easy to get focused on those things. But when we take our eyes off of those things and place them on the Lord Jesus Christ, upon God, who is sovereign, uh, he can bring peace and it allows you to focus on that which is most important. So let me read a few passages on what is most important. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we recognize that we've been brought into God's family if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and 
you are part of the universal church, and then hopefully you're part of a local gospel preaching church. And God has brought you near in that context, and you, he is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he is bringing about his will in his church and in your life in connection to it. And this enables us to live, to live lives that are changed. And uh, a chapter in our Bible that I'm sure many of us are familiar with, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. As you've read through this, hopefully you haven't missed it. It goes through these individuals who had strikingly godly lives, lives that were changed and lives of action. But as you read through Hebrews 11, there's one common theme that the author of Hebrews points us back to. What enabled these individuals to have extreme lives or just really logical, reasonable lives following after God was that they were looking towards eternity. And I want to show that to you in the text. We hear of uh, Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, where he left all that he knew, right? God calls Abraham out of, uh, out of idolatry and out of a non-God-following country and people, and he tells him to follow me. And Abraham leaves all that he knows, and he goes and sojourns in the wilderness. And Hebrews 11 verse 10 boils it down to really one thing. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In reality, Abraham wasn't looking for the promised land, Israel. He was looking for an eternal kingdom and looking forward to God's kingdom. And then he mentions all these other individuals. And in verse 13, it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had, would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And we have the same promise that uh, we have a home waiting for us after this earth, that we are just strangers passing through, going to someplace better. How do we hold on to this mindset, though? How can we fight the temptation of being distracted? How can we fight the temptation of putting our eyes from God back onto this earth and the chaos around us? And this is what I'm going to propose. It's prayer. It is prayer. Now, you should be there in Luke chapter 18. And this is where I want to close. In Luke 18, I want us to begin reading in verse 2. This is Jesus speaking. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cried to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We have the story that Jesus shares this parable. 
And you may be wondering, why did Jesus share this parable? Well, we skipped verse one on purpose. So I want us now to go back and look at verse one. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now he was telling them a parable. Why? To show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And we don't have time. I'm trying to wrap up quickly, but the very context of this, and we lose it because of our chapter breaks that have been added to the Bible, but Jesus is speaking of his second reach, his second coming. He's speaking of the end times. He's speaking of him, his return here to earth. If you go back into chapter 17, if you have headings. Uh, I'm from the NAS, using the NASB over verse 22 of chapter 17. You would see the second coming foretold. So it's in context of this conversation that he brings this up and this life of prayer. So this is the reminder. Um, and you may be wondering, where are we going with this? Well, number one, the principle that he's pointing out is God is not like this unjust judge. Amen. Right? He is not like this unjust judge. This unjust judge had no fear of God and no respect of man. No, our God, our judge is gracious and merciful and kind. And he cares about his creation. He cares about his children. Nothing can separate us from his love, which is in Christ Jesus. So he's contrasting this bad judge with this incredible, wonderful judge, our God, the Father. And he says, listen, if this bad judge will produce justice, how much more will God, who is good and gracious and kind and loves and cares, produce justice and do that which is right as his children call upon him? And this all stems from our belief that God is in control. God is able to answer our prayers. He is in control of the events that are going on around us. This therefore enables you to focus on the right thing. And as we want to focus on the right thing, then we need to be praying, praying for Christ's return, looking for him. And I feel that the question as he concludes in verse eight, he says, when the son of man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? He's putting there, will he find individuals who are looking to heaven, looking for his return and praying for it? And my conclusion this morning would be this. May we all be keeping our eyes fixed on heaven, keeping our eyes looking towards the return of Christ. Would he find us faithful? So all the chaos can become background noise when we are before the throne of our sovereign and returning king, because we know he will set things right.